Week 3, Session 3 Wounds That Don't Weep He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 147, verse 3 The Wellspring of Life When Jesus taught using the parable of the sower from Luke 8, he provided a timeless framework from which to understand spiritual growth towards freedom. The spirit of God's word that fell on rocky ground could not be established because there was no root or structure from which it could have taken hold. From the surface, the ground may have looked fine, but the truth lay beneath. As with our lives, it's the unseen world that determines how we grow. In previous sessions, we have seen how the presence of sin and ungodly belief structures act like poison roots, countering the development of God's world and word in us. The internal structure, the root, that we need is an awareness of our ability to choose well and the actual willingness to do it. This goes deeper than just knowing what to do. It relates to a capacity and desire to do it. It invariably comes back to being an issue of the heart. You will seldom hear the voice that guides your motivations. Your emotional and instinctive reactions to life's events are rarely the result of logical thought. Within you is an inner processor that is deeper than your thought life, more unique than your personality. Some might call it your unconscious, some your heart, but it is all referring to the same part of us. It is the unseen, difficult to understand, eternal spirit of a person. Our spirit lies beneath our rational and emotional being, underpinning, and in many ways driving, what we think or do through the filters of our mind, will, and emotions. It is the spirit that is most easily damaged in children, having foolishness bound up within it until truth and life can bring freedom. It is the human spirit that communes deeply with God, since he is spirit and he dwells intimately with us. And yet, in our Western setting, our spirit is essentially forgotten, Our spiritual development is based more on learning about God than interacting with Him. We focus on outward acts of obedience or tradition and fail to develop the very part of us that interfaces most effectively with God. Yet our thoughts and our actions will always revert to the powerful inner drives and needs of our spirit. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else! Why? Because the heart is a wellspring, the headwaters of what pours out of us. The state of our heart will determine the state of our life. What is found within will be found without. If we are broken on the inside, it won't matter if we have the IQ of Einstein, the body of Adonis, or the money of Bill Gates, we will still be broken and eventually it will show. It shows up in our relationships, our ministry, the way we see and treat ourselves. Paul prayed, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. God wants access to bring freedom to the whole person. Jeremiah the prophet struggled to come to grips with the workings of the heart when he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? There is much we can't define about our hearts, but we sure know when it's hurting or happy. We know when it's hard and when it's full. We know our hearts are healthy when they are free, free of fear, insecurity, and shame. God dwells with us there, and Paul says, The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, free to love 
and free to live. But that's not the experience of everyone. God dwells in the heart of every Christian, but not everyone has complete freedom. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22 says that God has set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He owns our hearts from the moment we believe, yet there is always an element of that which is to come. There is a process of habitation going on within our hearts where God progressively draws us to more life. He continually takes our inner chaos and brings us peace. We can either cooperate or hamper that process over time, but his offer for life will never fail. A healthy spirit is not impervious to pain, but is equipped to handle it well and with resilience. It can give and receive and be filled and give out. A healthy heart is both generous and hungry all at the same time. It thrives on both intimacy and solitude, joy and peace. It rejoices in others being blessed and is thankful and willing to receive as well. A healthy heart feeds off intimacy with God and people. It thrives in worship to God and is open to hear from Him. A healthy heart also provides an active conscience that leads us in God's ways. And just as our body has a physical skin that protects, we might say that the heart too is designed to have a protective layer that is resilient yet pliable and allows us to breathe life in and out. As our heart grows through the developmental stages, Our families are needed to safeguard and nurture its boundaries. What normally happens, though, is that to some degree our heart's protection is broken down and instead of freedom we become captive to a degree of pride or fear. Heart Conditions When Jesus made a public statement of intent at the beginning of his ministry, he could have proclaimed his right to rule, he could have given a vision statement about the future kingdom, or he could have declared a change to the Jewish religious order. But instead, he proclaimed that which was truly important. God has always sought out and examined hearts. He has always sought to restore humanity and give them access to peace. And so, Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2, saying, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus was going after hearts, the broken, the captive and the imprisoned hearts. And he was proclaiming a jubilee, a season where people were given back their inherited lands, where debts were cancelled and life restored. Freedom and life are our inheritance. We are made for it and Jesus was giving it back. He was prophetically declaring our debt of sin cancelled and calling us back to our rightful place. After his resurrection and all debts were cleared, the vision began to bring life. In John 20 verse 22, it says Jesus breathed on the disciples, not a symbolic act, but a reality. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And with that began God's work of restoring hearts through the power of the resurrection. Jesus promised to bind up the brokenhearted, including the hearts that are exposed, with wounds gaping. But broken hearts take many forms, and some are not obviously shattered. Some have learned to cope by keeping it together, by hardening up. They protect themselves from further hurt by withdrawing and closing off. This becomes problematic, though, because the human spirit has been designed by God to both feed off and feed into relationships. 
It needs intimacy with God and people to keep it fresh, alive, and able to maturely cope with pain and disappointment. By withdrawing into a dark and safe spiritual room, our hearts can effectively begin to slumber. They're not dead, but they're not fully alive either, nor functioning as they should. People with slumbering or stony hearts can appear to operate normally with life. They perform well, achieve, marry, and serve in their church, but they are aware of something being absent. Worship becomes a chore or a mental exercise void of real devotion. They see God as their boss and themselves as his slave rather than a son or a daughter who can be comforted and encouraged. Deep intimacy with people becomes impossible and sexuality is relegated to being a physical function more than a joining of spirits in true oneness. Communion with God becomes a one-sided conversation and prayer just a reciting of lists and needs. Hearts become stony as a response to painful events, the often repeated injuries to their self-worth and personal safety. Piece by piece, the person makes choices to protect themselves from intrusion. Captives and Prisoners Parts of stone are held in a self-imposed cage. They belong to the broader category of those Jesus called captive and to whom he proclaims freedom. Notice Jesus doesn't impose freedom. There is a cooperation that must take place because he won't take away our will or our freedom to choose. The captive spirit's cage is their protection. They have been wounded and or have believed lies about themselves and the world around them, probably in those early developmental years, and have found a form of counterfeit safety. Not all captives have hearts of stone, though. Some are more open and more obviously hurting. But most are victims of calamity, abuse or neglect, and will choose to shut down to some degree rather than be exposed to more pain than they feel they can handle. Captives are victims of war. The door of injury that invaded their heart's protection was opened by another. From the outside in, it was an invasion. And even though they are often a victim of another's actions, it is their own choice to retain a victim's mindset that keeps them captive. They believe their cage is safe. And because their valid needs have not been met in godly ways, they learn over time to meet them in their own way, with control and self-provision and detached behaviour. But what of those who put themselves in prison? Because of the rebellious nature that we start life with, it's easy to lean into the pleasures of sinful behaviours that become habitual or addictive, especially if we believe that sin gives us what we need. Eventually we become more and more a slave of things we obey, and it increasingly controls us. It goes from a suggestion to an impression to an oppression to an obsession. This is a prison door with a handle on the inside. People are in a prison because of their own actions. They retain the power to choose life, but choose sin instead. And as well as the ramifications of their actions, they also become full of shame and regret, low self-esteem and reduced awareness of choice. For both the captive and the prisoner, life can seem hopeless and without options, the cure seeming impossible or too painful to consider. The prison becomes a part of a stronghold, the inner sanctum of wrong belief. The combination of wrong thinking, a damaged heart, and often a semi-valid claim on pity builds a complex and multi-layered, often logical, life of dark dysfunction. God wants to shine a light in the dark place saying in Ephesians 5.14, 
Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He says further in Ezekiel 36, 26, that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A partnership must be formed between the prisoner, God, and God's people to draw them safely toward freedom. We need to invite the Holy Spirit himself to mend spiritual wounds, inviting him to act with laser-like precision. We need the truth of Scripture to counter the lies believed, and we must choose to renounce and remove those lies. We need people to show patient love and acceptance, even when it is unable to be reciprocated. The heart is the problem, but the body of Christ is the answer. Christ offers freedom and life. Ask him to begin to bring to light any part of you that has not known freedom. The key to every spiritual prison is bringing every lie into submission to the truth of the glory of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Christ has the keys to set you free. All you need to do to begin that process is to invite him into that dark place. Let him begin to bring healing and truth and allow your streams leader to work with you in that journey as well. Dare to find life. Dare to be free. Your journal. Make a note of where your heart condition is holding you back and invite God himself to minister to it in a way that sets you free and brings you back to life. If necessary, note down any events or choices that come to mind that may be linked to the initiation of a spiritual wound. As appropriate, forgive offenders and repent of any bad personal choices or judgments. 